This is Joe the Eclectic, the podcast, 2023, episode one. Welcome, everybody, to the very first podcast for Joe, the Eclectic, the podcast. Why a podcast, you ask? I say, why not? Everyone else has a podcast going on. Why can't I? Uh, this 50-something guy lived a, lived a lot of life, uh, has a lot of experiences, a lot of opinions. I figure, what the heck, why not share some of those with uh, those of you out there who bother to listen? And I appreciate uh, any and all of you who do. So I'm going to take you back to the year 1976, the year of our bicentennial, our 200th birthday as a country. Back then, uh, there were really only five ways to consume music. Uh, it was either listening to the radio, and FM was just beginning to make it big. It was having a reel-to-reel tape uh, where you would have it, you would reel it to the next spool, and it would go from one tape spool to the other. Actually, my dad had one, and boy, if I ever touched that thing, he'd throw me against the wall, so that was a no-no. But the music, the quality of the sound was excellent. Number three was an eight-track tape. Number four was a cassette tape. And finally, the number five was the old vinyl album, LPs. So we're in 1976. I am uh, 11 years old, just turned uh, 11 at the end of December of 75. I'm in the seventh grade, and one day... Uh, my neighbor John and I were at the bus stop, and we're waiting and waiting and waiting. Now, keep in mind, this these were the days where there were no cell phones and there were no apps to track where the school bus was. Uh, we didn't know if we had missed the bus or if the bus had yet to arrive, but in any event, we were going to be late for school. So we go back to his house, and his brother, who was in high school, uh, took us to uh, the junior high, which was the total opposite direction of the high school and so we get in the car and he pops in this eight track tape and i mean it it, it kind of hit me out of nowhere because this is what i heard haven't figured it out yet this is heart this is magic man this is off of dreamboat annie from their first album uh rock and roll hall of famers heart i should actually more accurately say the and the wilson sisters Anne and nancy out of seattle washington but i was mesmerized by that and so by the time we got to school we were able to listen up hear about three songs off this album uh, eight track at the time but it was uh, the album and i was hooked and so I found out, yes, this is the name of the group is Heart. The name of the album is Dreamboat Annie. So I get uh, my parent, one of them, to take me to the mall, use my mother's department store employee discount, and I purchase their album. Their first album was my first album purchased with my $5 a week allowance. Uh, it was the actual album. I remember how magical it was coming home and uh, undoing the cellophane to it, pulling out the album that had that had its sleeve, and in the sleeve were the lyrics to the album. There were also liner notes inside the album, uh, things, musicians and writers and things like that, uh, even maybe the brand of the guitar, anything like that. Very interesting to me, always was. Uh, liner notes were always interesting to me. So I listened to this album, my first and at that time only album, I listened to it, nonstop over and over again and as it as it what happened was as will turn happened to me uh, many times throughout the rest of my life uh, I like Magic Man I liked Crazy on You those were the songs that got the airplay but there's a song on the second side and 
it's uh, I think it stands the test of time. The only way you can date it is there's a reference to the Vietnam War, but even then you'd have to know it was the Vietnam War. But it's how deep it goes. I'll take a little listen to that. I just like the, I just like the melody, uh, like the orchestration in it. Uh, it's it's mellow, which is a lot different than the the first side and even a couple songs on the second side. So that became my favorite song on the on the album. Now I figure, okay, this is good. What's next? Uh, remember the years 1976. In April of 77. The magazine, the album magazine, comes out now. There's some, there was some controversy surrounding this. Uh, Mushroom Records, Mushroom Records, easy for me to say, did not want to release Heart from their uh, co uh, commitment to, to albums. Heart wanted to get out of this commitment, and so they went to court, battle back and forth. In any event, magazine is kind of a, a compilation, if you will, maybe a hodgepodge. Uh, of of songs, the one that I like from it is uh, "Heartless," and it sounds like this. He says. Now, Mushroom Records wasn't totally stupid. What they did do for this album was come out with a commemorative album. And what this was, was uh, the album had the album cover pressed onto the album itself. And so there were only 100,000 made. And sucker than I am, I bought one. I have number 47,077 out of the 100,000. Now, I have never played this one. Uh, I ended up buying a album, regular album, that I could play. So just call me a sucker because uh, it worked. Worked on me. So that's April of 77. It's their second album. And it's okay. I mean, it, it's they've got some covers on there. Uh, it's Again, there's a lot, of con a lot of controversy around it, so it may not be uh, their best work. I like it, but it may not be their best work. The next month... The next month, May of 1977, they come out with uh, Little Queen. Now, this one uh, is on their new record label. It was Portrait. Now it's Columbia, but Portrait. Um, and this first song, uh, of the first side, the first single, I mean, if this doesn't uh, come up and smack you in the face, I don't know uh, what will. This ended up becoming one of their staples of their concert set list. Um, still play it to this day. And the last time I saw Hart in concert was about 2008 uh, over at Billy Bob's in Fort Worth. And they were still doing a fantastic job. Fantastic job. So what would, what would happen on this album for me is that uh, there, there would be consecutive songs 
that are different songs and they each stand on their own. But because of the way I would listen to albums from front to back, I got into hearing songs that didn't bleed into each other, but kind of did. And so I got used to listening to these songs in, in tandem, if you will. And so an example of that for uh, on this album, which was really the first time I'd uh, encountered this, but it's uh, Sylvan's song, which then goes into Dream of the Archer. So if I quizzed you, would you be able to tell me where that break is? Because I think it's pretty subtle. So this album has a memory for me uh, because um, growing up, I used to bowl a lot on Saturday mornings. We'd have tournaments uh, across the city, across the region, across the state even. And so this one particular night, uh, this one particular Saturday night, we are going to, we have a city tournament the next day. My doubles partner and I are at a, his friend's house. We're drinking, I don't know what, probably beer, even though we were underage, may have even had some uh, cannabis involved, don't really remember that clearly, haha, <laughs> but um, we were taking turns, taking turns lip singing to the, these songs on these album, on this album, and so my song was Little Queen, and oh, by the way, we ended up as double partners going out and winning the tournament the next day, so thanks to Ann and Nancy Wilson for that inspiration for us to achieve a championship. So let's fast forward then to October of 1978. Dog and Butterfly comes out. And so let's let's look at this real quick though, because so from 75 to 78, 75, 76, 77, 78, in four years they've come out with four albums. That's pretty good. We don't really see that kind of uh, uh, proficiency these days. Now, the one thing that this information age that we're living in now ha gives you is obviously information. Back in the day, uh, there's one live song on this album, which at the time I thought was a little strange to only have one, but okay, didn't think much of it, liked the song. Uh, in fact, we're going to listen to it here and then we will uh, talk about it. All this time, I thought it was a live song recorded in Memphis. First time Hart's been in Memphis. Unfortunately, I read the Wikipedia entry on this album, and it turns out this is all studio-driven. This is not at all what uh, we thought it was all these many years. So from that, from that angle, it's kind of a little bit of a downer to have that information. Um, <laughs> but it's still a good song. Actually, with this album, the first side is uh, what's called dog, but most of the, all these songs rock. The second side, Butterfly, is a lot more mellow. And so actually, uh, one of my favorite songs is the uh, title track of this one. I think it's uh, really good, Dog and Butterfly. Stranded. 
possibilities of getting what I need. He looked at me and smiled. He said, no, 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 child. So lastly, what would another of my trends as I'm uh, develop, developing my musical style, becoming a music snob, if you will. I like songs that start out slow and end up fast or rocking. Um, probably one of my first exposures to that was Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. But this song, this album, Dog and Butterfly, the last song on the album, has a, the, the last song is called Mistral Wind. And if you listen to the first part of it, you think, oh, you know, it almost is a snooze fest. But uh, don't be, don't be, don't be deceived. Listen. still got that voice and does <clears throat> and so some other significant things about this album for me is that uh, again the album came out in 1970 October 1978 February 6th of 1979 I just just turned 14 uh, I paid seven dollars and fifty cents to see them uh, in concert in Biloxi General admission, there was no reserved seating uh, for most of the concerts in Biloxi back then, uh, actually across the country. Uh, I remember, don't ask me why I remember this, but I remember that uh, we're walking, it's during the concert, and we're walking upstairs in the upper deck to, I guess, find open seats. But anyway, this uh, girl in front of me, uh, trying to climb up the steps, I emphasize the word trying to climb up the steps, uh, who knows what she was on, uh, I mean, again, this was the late 70s, it could have been anything, but even to this day, I remember she had, she had one of the nicest asses I think I've ever seen in my life, and so it was, uh, it was a memory uh, that I'll never obviously forget. Uh, just a side note, in December of that year, December 3rd of that year, uh, The Who put on a concert at River, Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, and it also was general admission. Well, apparently the Who fans were so excited to see The Who that they decided to rush the gates, and they ended up crushing a lot of people, and actually 11 people died. So it was a, it was a, it was a tragedy. Shouldn't have happened. Well, nine days later, December 12th, 1979, I'm going to go see KISS. And at that time, KISS was maybe at the height of their powers. They were hot, and they, they were it. Uh, and I, again, I think I paid about $7.59 to see them then. That's a steal. But I remember announcing to the people around me that if I go down and in some kind of surge, I'm taking people with me. And the last thing about that KISS concert is that uh, it was either Cheap Trick, John Cougar, Loverboy, or Judas Priest that opened for him. Well, I, I kind of like Cheap Trick, so I, if it had been Cheap Trick, I would remember that. Uh, John Cougar, now John Mellencamp. John Mellencamp, I wouldn't have known. Uh, Loverboy, still, they hadn't made it quite big yet. And Judas Priest, I really wasn't a fan of. So I don't remember who opened for him. It was one of those four, but they, all those four ended up becoming uh, big names. So now we are, uh, we're in, we were in, ending up 1979. I've just turned... Uh, 14, about to turn 15 in December of 79. I'm going to turn 15. So we fast forward to uh, April, excuse me, February of 1980, and they come out with a song a title, excuse me, an album called Baby the Strange. Uh, I like the first track. It's uh, did not get released as a single, but doesn't stop me from liking it. Cool. 
Good first song, the title track, good first song. So now uh, another example of an album where um, two songs are conjoined twins, if you will, even though they're not, uh, in my mind, they were. And so for this album, it was Break and Rockin' Heaven Down. Now this one also has slow beginning, but it does pick up at the very end, uh, actually pretty, uh, very nicely, very nicely. Finally, the last track on this album uh, was not released. Again, maybe, I like this album. I think it, it's, it rocks back and uh, front to back, songs one through 10. But I think this is my, if I had to pick a favorite on it, I think this, uh, this song would be it. It's called Sweet Darling. this one picks up too but it's a it's a good song so there's there's a lot about this uh that that um, affected me personally this album first of all the year was 1980 that, that was a big year for me i don't know why but uh it was just a big year uh, in my development and, gro and growth and development so i would have been uh da, 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 what was i freshman in high school i can't remember whatever it was um but they they were going to perform in concert in Biloxi on April 11th, 1980. That was a Friday night. Uh, so I paid my $9. It went up from $7.50 a couple years prior to $9. That's a lot, but still $9 I'll take. So I'm going to go on April 11th. There's no question about that. The question becomes, there's a group that I was a little bit familiar with uh, that was going to be in concert that next Friday, the 18th. And that group was Journey. And there's a little question in my mind about whether or not I was going to go see Journey. I was definitely going to go see Heart. Uh, ended up uh, going to see Journey, and I could do a whole podcast itself on, if not that Journey concert, Journey, and I still may do it. But any, in any event, it's Friday. It's April 11th. Uh, my friend Danny, who, who bought this album on cassette, because he had a car, he had a driver's license, because back in, back in those days... In, in the state of Mississippi, 14-year-olds could get driver's license, which, as I've gotten older, scares me quite quite a lot to think that a 14-year-old can get behind the wheel. But back back then, he had a driver's license, he had a car, I had neither, so he he was my uh, he would be my ride to concerts. Even though I think I lived a mile mile and a half away from the Coliseum, I could have walked because I used to walk a lot and I'd walk by it all the time, but. Uh, we we are on our way to the concert this night, this Friday night, and uh, we're running a little late, which with him is not a shock. And so he decides uh, the the street that we need to turn on to to park. He decides that we are going to um, cut across the gasoline station and uh, try and get ahead. Well, as fate would have it. He gets onto the street, and we're heading towards the Coliseum, and uh, he looks behind him, and 
what does he see in his rearview mirror but police lights turning on? So he pulls in, there's, there's a Greek Orthodox church that he pulls into, and it had like a little side street and then the church, and then the parking for the church was behind the church. So there's a little side street, and that, that's how you got to the church. So he pulls up near the um, Orthodox church, which was, which was set back from the road. And he's waiting for the police to walk up to his win window. And I'm telling him, because there's all sorts of smoke, I can't remember what kind, but there's all sorts of smoke in the car. It's like, Danny, don't wait for him to come to you. Go out there and see what he wants. And thankfully, I uh, just issued him a warning, and we were on our way. Could have been a lot worse, believe me. So I guess the folks in Mississippi hadn't learned, or they decided they were still going to issue general admission tickets because this concert was a general admission concert as well, uh, even after the tragedy in Cincinnati uh, the month before, a few months before. So I'm on the floor, which was unusual for me because I still hadn't had my growth spurt yet. So I was still pretty short, but I'm on the floor. And I meet up with a guy I went to, had gone to high school with, actually gone to elementary school with him. So I'd known him a long time. We weren't really close. We weren't even friends necessarily, but I mean, we knew each other just having been in classes together over the years. So he and I are kind of at the back of the floor at the beginning of the concert. And what was funny about this concert was that as people would leave their spot on the floor to go get a beer, go to the bathroom, whatever, well, that opens things up. And so by the end of the concert, we were about what would be the third row from the stage. And having started at the back of the, at the, back of the uh, uh, arena, that was actually pretty cool. So I'd seen them now twice in a couple years. I'd had, I have all their albums. I mean, it's, it's, it's glorious. So in uh, November of 1980, which I, I thought was unusual, I still think it's unusual, November 1980, Hart comes out with a greatest hits slash live album, a double album. The first album had the greatest hits. Well, because I had all their other albums, I had all these songs. And again, just call me Joe the Sucker, but Joe the Sucker buys this album. Why? Because it had live songs on it that I, I did not have. Um, live versions of David Lestrange, live, a live version of Mistral, Mistral Wind, and a few other assorted songs on there. So uh, they, also did, um, they also did a cover of an Aaron Neville song from the 60s. Uh, tell it like it is. I thought they did a pretty good job on this, actually. So if you're wondering, uh, do I still have these albums after all these years? Well, the answer to that would be yes. Uh, annoys my wife to no end. Carried them with me, uh, every move I've made as an adult. But yes, I still have them. I don't even have a turntable, but I still have these albums. I'm not going to get rid of them. I mean, after I die, my wife or whoever goes through my stuff is just going to have to pitch them. Maybe they can sell them on eBay. I don't know, but uh, no, not not uh, going to sell them. Now, you also have to keep in mind that uh, the Walkman's just now making its first appearance. A Walkman. The ability to play cassette tapes and, ha and listen to them on your own little earphones and be able to walk around anywhere with music, listening to it. In fact, the first Walkman I had didn't even have a radio, radio player. It just was cassette tape. And oh, by the way, it didn't have the mechanism where it would flip sides of tapes automatically. Some of the later models would. The original one didn't. And so for, I believe it retailed for, I want to say about 100 bucks. that's all you got. But back then, that was a big deal. And so I bought 
albums. That was my way of doing it because albums produced a better sound when they didn't, assuming they weren't scratched up, produced a better sound than cassette tapes. So my brand of choice for the blank cassette tapes was TDK. I thought they made the best, highest quality. The challenge, of course, not with TDK, but the challenge now is to record the album onto the cassette tape. And so, yes, I could, uh, if a 90-minute tape, 45 minutes per side, obviously, uh, if the first side of an album was 25 minutes, I had 15 minutes to fill. Didn't like filling it with the second side, and then the second side of the cassette tape, I'd have to figure out what to do. Didn't like doing that. First side of the cassette tape, first side of the album. Second side of the cassette tape, obviously, second side of the album. So then you got to fill it in with 15 minutes of stuff. And so you got to figure out, you got to pull from other albums and because I didn't want 15 minutes of silence. It was a, it was a, I got it down to a science. Now those blank tapes I don't have, I ended up pitching. So now we're in, uh, we're in 1980. We're going to, we're going to move ahead to 1982. Private Audition, it was released on June 5th, 1982. And I had just graduated two days earlier, June 3rd, 1982. And so uh, this album came out. Been a couple years, basically, since they had released anything. First song on the album, uh, I sure did like. So, now it's June 5th, 1982. I get a call from a buddy of mine, John, who again, like Danny, had a car, had a driver's license. I still don't have one. Uh, uh, I have a driver's license, but I don't have a car now. He calls me in the morning. Uh, probably even wakes me up. I was a late sleeper back then. Hey, Hart just came out with a new album. I've got it already. I'm a bigger fan than you are. And it's like, no, I say, no, no, no. Tap the brakes on that. I said, I'm going to go walk to the record store to get this album. And that will, that will show I'm a bigger fan. And he took pity on me. And he said, no, no, I'll, I'll, I'll come get you and uh, I'll, I'll give you a ride. And so um, we're in it. We're, we're deciding who's the bigger heart fan. And he, he's insistent because he went and got this album the minute it came out of the record store that he was. And so... Because my wife doesn't want me to get canceled before I even get started, I won't say exactly wh how I trumped him on uh, who the bigger fan was, but I did. Uh, I won't say exactly how, but let's just say uh, Ann and Nancy, and as they're in their present state, it's something they don't have to worry about now. Uh, so anyway, my favorite song in this album, though, uh, is is somewhat mellow song, uh, a somewhat mellow song, and it's on the second side, uh, and it's called One Word. Now, this did not get released, as I said, either, but this is a result of listening to the album over and over and over again, uh, which, um, old school, I still think that's the way to go, but let's take a listen to some of this song.
And again, this one picks up, but um, favorite song on the album. It, it, it's a it's a good album. It's a conceptual album. Uh, I like. I mean, the title of the album is Private Audition, and so the songs uh, revolve around uh, this group, this fictitious group, auditioning and trying to get trying to get a gig. And ended up, uh, of course, there you've got female singers, so we can only imagine what uh, what was happening with that. So off to college I go. Uh, a month later, in July 1982, I'm, I'm a freshman in Lincoln, Nebraska. Still not sure, other than the football team, what I was doing up there. Uh, never had lived up there, never experienced a winter. Uh, didn't know anybody other than my aunt, uncle, and two cousins who lived in Lincoln. And that was it. Uh, and it was a long, long way from Biloxi. And oh, by the way, my mom had gotten remarried and she had moved to Dallas. So there's nobody in Biloxi. There's nothing in Biloxi. So... This is my new home for the time being. So in August, uh, so I'm listening to this album uh, a lot uh, during my freshman year. Then we go to August of 1983 and Passionworks come out, comes out uh, for them. And the first single is How Can I Refuse? And it's actually a pretty good song. So, first single off this album. Uh, now, I will say because uh, I was in uh, in the dorm room, uh, didn't want to use my roommate's stereo. I didn't know them. I had two of them. I didn't know them that well. They knew each other. They'd gone to high school together in Hastings. I didn't want to use. I didn't want to pres be presumptuous and use that. So this one I ended up buying on cassette. So, uh, and it, I think I wore the cassette out. What's interesting about this album, though, that the second second single, which I don't remember hearing being released as a single, don't remember hearing it on the radio, but this is according to Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia, for all this information. The second single is called Allies, and the uh, song credit for writing of the song goes to Jonathan Cain. Now, Journey had released, earlier in the year, Journey had released Frontiers. And so as I listen, listened and still listen to this song, I try and picture or try and imagine what would, what would it sound like if Steve Perry had, uh, had sung it? If Steve Perry was the lead singer instead of Ann Wilson and Hart, what would it sound like? Let's see if we can figure it out. I'm a big Steve Perry fan. I I tend to think that he would have done uh, as good a job on this song, but having listened to Frontiers for X number of times, I, I don't see this song fitting on that Frontiers album. So uh, Journey was probably smart to not put it on their album. Uh, I think it fits well with what uh, Hart was doing for this album. This is an album again, my uh, freshman year. The um, excuse me, sophomore year, um, just sitting there looking out the window of my dorm at the Capitol building and listening to this and thinking, eh, Lincoln's not all it's cracked up to be, but that's another, another story for another time. So now 
we are in June of 1985, and Hart releases the album Heart. And again, I thought it was odd that uh, a, a group would release an album, a self-titled album, eight albums into their career, but they did. What's interesting, uh, there's a lot of interesting things about this album. I mean, this was their re-breakthrough album, if you will. They're, they're back, they're back on the charts, they're relevant again, uh, all that good stuff. But they had a much, much different look, uh, and, and they also incorporated videos with this album. Now, I, I never had, uh, I obviously was familiar with MTV, um, the house in Dallas had it. Uh, did not. I never had it while I was in Lincoln. Never had it while I was uh, when I transferred to North Texas. Never had it there either, which is probably a good thing because that's probably all I would have done back then is uh, veg out and watch music videos. But Hart began doing videos for this album and supported this album with this new look. And so their first single, actually, um, I'm, I was curious about it. Uh, listened to it and was like, eh, not bad. I like it. Sounds like this. stuff first first single on that off that album heart now the second single which i for some reason remember the video with it as well uh it's called never and it uh it sounds like this So, we now have two singles off this album, uh, and they've charted, charted pretty well. Another single, uh, actually this song, These Dreams, was co-written by Bernie Taupin. He was uh, Elton John's co-writer for all those mega hits that Elton John had. Uh, what's a little bit different about this one as well, this song as well, is that uh, Nancy does the lead vocals. Uh, and again, accompanied by a um, video, but it's a good song, These Dreams, and it holds up. I do think, after watching the Bee Gees uh, documentary on HBO, I do think that, uh, and it's the lead singer from Oasis that pointed this out, but I do, I do think siblings have an advantage when they harmonize versus when you have a bunch of outsiders. And I think Anne and Nancy can harmonize much like the, well, I'm not comparing them to the Bee Gees, but like the Bee Gees were able to harmonize, you can't replicate that sound. And I'm not going to comment on Oasis because I really don't like them. But anyway, so now uh, this this album is, is producing hit after hit after hit. And this is right about the time I'm about to graduate from college. And so uh, about to go off into the real world now. So we still have a couple more songs that are going to make it big from this album. But now June of 1987. 
a couple years later, almost to the day, uh, two years later, uh, Bad Animals was released. Um, not sure from front to back it's their best work. They Even they might admit that to you. There are a couple songs on there I like. One of them is a, a cover, and I'd never heard of this band, and no offense to them, still don't know who they are. But uh, the song alone is a cover of an I-10 song, and that sounds like this. So I've not heard I-10's version, their version, they wrote it, but I can't imagine it's uh, better than what Ann and Nancy did. My favorite song on the album though is There's the Girl. Uh, it sounds like this. Now, having said it's not their best album, and I still truly believe that, I will say, as I've listened to it over and over again over the years, it, it holds up better than uh, I initially, when I when it first came out, wasn't a big fan, did like a couple songs on it, but wasn't a big fan. But as the years have gone by, I've actually grown to like it more and more. I think sometimes what happens with, with music fans, a couple things. Um, one, not so much, I don't think it's as prevalent today, but back in the day, whether it was R.E.M. or NXS or Journey or Heart, the, the, the curse you could say it could put on them was they went commercial. Oh, they sold out. They went commercial. I mean, uh, Journey, uh, Steve Perry cuts his hair for the Frontiers album. Heart in 85 with the, whatever they were wearing, uh, I couldn't even tell you, but I mean, but what happened? Uh, Journey was became famous, sold out stadiums. Heart had videos, a number one album. Uh, REM went on to become world, uh, I mean, just world stars. And so, I, I think I think as fans, we can be we become selfish by saying we don't want them to be successful uh, commercially. Well, yeah, you do. You want them to make money. I mean, they're, they they need to eat just like the rest of us do. The other thing is that uh, I think as music fans, we we. Uh, we will compare albums uh, as they come out with the previous album that the band had. And that, that's rather short-sighted. Um, uh, a more recent example, Justin Timberlake, his Man of the Woods album. Doesn't sound like anything he had done up to that point, but it was different. Um, Fleetwood Mac, you know, when they came out with Tusk, a double album, uh, on the heels of Rumors, well, it did not do well, but because everybody's comparing Tusk to Rumors. Well, you can't. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, and you have to take each album on its own. That's one of the things that attracted me to Stone Temple Pilots. None of their albums sound alike. I mean, from uh, uh, Core to uh, tiny, song, uh, tiny Music Songs from the Vatican Gift Shop to uh, uh, Four uh, to Shangri-La, None of their albums sound alike. And so I think as fans, we, we kind of want to pigeonhole our, our musicians into, into producing the same sound over and over again. And I don't think they, they want to do that. So now we're into March of 1990. And they come out with Brigade. And I'm going to bypass the uh, uncomfortable first hit that they had. Um, written by Mutt Lang, by the way, Shania Twain's ex-husband. Mutt wrote this, which is odd because it's from the perspective of a woman. All I want to do is make love to you uh, about her wanting to get pregnant and ends up hooking up with a stranger and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's odd that he was able to put himself in the woman's place. 
but he has what Billy Joel said about songwriters, imagination. I'm not going to cover that song on this one, but I'm going to talk about a couple other songs on here. Um, Love the Harmonies on Fallen from Grace, and actually co uh, a co-writer of this song is uh, Sammy Hagar. Uh, he actually had a couple, uh, couple songs on here that he co-wrote. But this is Fallen from Grace. I like the harmonies on this. Again, like the harmonies. Uh, now I've been I've been out of college for four years, trying to establish my professional career. Uh, I still do remember I, I had an uh, appointment up in Fayetteville, Arkansas, of all places, listening to the radios. I'm getting ready for my appointment in the morning at the in the hotel room, and that uh, all I want to do song is uh, comes on. It's like yeah, okay, that's that's hard. It's 19. 1991, and they're still they're still getting radio airplay, and that was I thought really cool. Again, my favorite song though from this album uh, is "Cruel Nights." I think this I think this song holds up. Now I will say, in my opinion, rock and roll, and I don't I take no pleasure in saying this, but in my opinion, rock and roll as a genre is dead. Uh, I hate it. Uh, how many millions of us grew up listening to it? Countless, but it's just I, I just don't think it's a viable viable uh, genre anymore. So, Desire Walks On was released late 1993, and the first song. Off on that on this album, uh, actually this is a CD. I bought it on CD. I did not buy it on album. That's how things have changed from the earlier years with Heart. But the first song, really, uh, as as they have a habit of doing, but the first song really will, will smack you in the face. How many how many vocalists could pull that off? Not me, uh, screaming at the top of her lungs. But she's not screaming; she's singing. That's what makes it even more impressive. Uh, another good song on there is uh, "Back to Avalon." I like it's mellow, uh, especially after what we just heard. "Back to Avalon" sounds like this.
nice and mellow, nice and mellow. But my favorite song on this album, In Walks the Night, this is a, uh, I just broke up with somebody or somebody just dumped me, probably more of the latter. Somebody just dumped me and I'm going to punch my pillow and cry into it at the same time. And it would be uh, with this playing in the background, In Walks the Night. It's good stuff. So that's Desire Walks On. Finally, as I wrap up this podcast, uh, I think it's appropriate to wrap it up with the next album that they came out with. It was a live acoustic album, The Road Home. And uh, I bought this. And I had most of the songs, a couple I didn't have, but I bought this because they have acoustic versions of all their great hits, including Barracuda. other thing I've noticed uh, about artists today is that uh, you don't see a lot of them coming out with live albums. Um, back in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s, uh, artists would have live albums, sometimes multiple live albums. Hard had one right around uh, The Desire Walks On. I'm sorry, The Brigade. They had one right after Brigade, a live album. I, I didn't get it. actually didn't know about it until I was doing research for this podcast. Finally, I'll close with the title track of this album. Uh, I think it's appropriate as we talk about, as I've talked about, all the music that in, uh, was a part of my life, still is, but was a part of my life growing up. <laughs> all these years later, The Road Home, this is hard. that's a good song to end with um, thank you for indulging me in this trip down memory lane uh, it, it really is it's amazing to me I had a colleague that used to say uh, growing old beats the alternative but not by much uh, I mean, he may be right about that I don't know but um, if there's anything that you disagree with uh, want more information about hit me up my email address is joetheeclectic at gmail.com. 
joetheeclectic at gmail.com. And so until the next time, stay safe, everyone. <laughs>